Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, fishermen. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. I want to speak to you tonight and maybe for the next few Wednesday nights on the subject, the making of a disciple. God bless you. You may be seated. The making of a disciple. Now I want to say a few things at the beginning. First of all, I believe that most of you who are listening or watching this message right now identify as Christians believers, even as apostolic Pentecostal people. And I also believe that most everyone who's engaged in this service tonight would say that they're a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to think we're going to talk about the ABCs when you think we should be talking about the XYZs of living for God. And I hope you realize that the most mature person here tonight still has a long way to go to be like the Lord. I observed that COVID put many people in a position where their relationship with God and His church was evaluated and examined. The question, am I merely a member of a church or am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Whether it entered people's minds consciously or not, what you hear in the church world when you read about what's taken place and through 2020 and the beginning of 2021 is that there are some people, not so much here at our church, honestly, and if it was true, I would say it was true, but a lot of people have drifted away from a a corporate worship experience. Changed churches, became an online Christian only, never to again darken the door of a church or be connected to the body of Christ. There are some people that struggled spiritually and they're not connected to the congregation. The word congregation is mentioned in the Bible in the Old Testament 330 times and refers to God's people as a body and sometimes even a convocation, the gathering together of God's people into a congregation. We certainly believe in the importance of coming to church and I'm not trying to condemn someone who cannot come to church and that's not really my theme tonight. We were not meant to walk with God alone, but there are times when we are alone whether it's in the privacy of our home, alone at work, alone with people who are not Christian people. And our faith is tested by trials, by temptations, by the pressures of other people. In the last few weeks when I've closed a service or made announcements or spoke at a business meeting or in a 301 meeting or in a trustee board meeting, I've been talking about this idea of discipleship. It's not novel, it's not new, it's who we are. But through COVID, I believe that many people realized that they depended too much on the corporate church and less on their personal walk with God. I'm not saying that to insult you or to try to subtract something away from your walk with God, but I'm basing that on new people coming into the church, which took a nosedive, not just at Atlanta West, but at other places. Because too much of dependence was on what happened inside the building rather than what took place out in life. So it's not an indictment against your walk with God. 
But I want to make sure that we're not just a, a church of church goers. We're not just members of a church. That we're really disciples of Jesus Christ who are also disciple makers. A church of disciples who are also disciple makers. You will not follow Jesus very far until He leads you to a lost soul. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what is a disciple? There are many informal definitions, but formally the word disciple means a learner, a student. We say a follower of Jesus Christ, but in the Greek world, the word disciple normally referred to a person who is an adherent to a particular teacher or religious philosophical school of thought. And the task of that disciple was to learn, study, and then pass along the knowledge that they had gained from that teacher to other people. In the New Testament, 233 of the 261 instances of the word disciple are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 28 of those instances are in the book of Acts. Most of the time, the word disciple in the New Testament refers to disciples of Jesus Christ. But there are examples where they were disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of John the Baptist, or even the disciples of Moses that are mentioned in the New Testament. But think about this. Christian is not mentioned that many times in the Bible, in the New Testament. They were called Christians first at Antioch. And it seems to be a little bit more of a derisive term when they were first called that by unbelievers. But disciple, 261 times in the New Testament, we are to be learners, followers, students of Jesus Christ. Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. I want to make you a disciple of mine. Discipleship is a lifelong process. This Saturday, this past Saturday, Brother Caleb Saucer did a leadership session with our youth staff and they recorded and archived it and I was able to watch most of it. But Brother Caleb Saucer gave this definition that's part of a working definition of the discipleship project, a curriculum from the United Pentecostal Church International. Brother Caleb said discipleship is a lifelong process of spiritual development leading toward Christ-likeness. I like the word lifelong. I like the word process. As Pentecostal people through the years, and I grew up in the church, I am a one God apostolic, tongue-talking, holy roller, born-again, heaven-bound believer in the liberating power of Jesus' name. If you never heard Lance Appleton's song, that's part of it back in the day. That's who I am to my core. But pretty often we've placed a lot of emphasis on inspiration and less emphasis on application. A lot of emphasis on what happens in a moment at an altar, at a youth camp, at a North American Youth Congress, and less on what happens every day of our lives. Now, really, we know better than that, and we've taught better than that. But if you think about our language of experience and get a touch of God, I believe in getting a touch of God. But I'm more interested in walking with God. 
than I am what happens in a moment. I believe that that moment can catalyze a walk with God. When I was 16 years of age, a, a youth camp, not just one night, but a, a youth camp, five nights, just changed me. I went home, but then I made commitments to prayer and fasting and, you know, walking with God. And it was a, tra- a change in my life. It happened in an experience, but it kind of gained traction in the commitments that I made afterward, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I thought Brother Saucer did a tremendous job on Sunday preaching on this theme in a broad way to our parents and students alike. The twelve apostles were disciples who were selected by Jesus Christ and separated to Him. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible said that Jesus prayed all night long and then He called unto Him disciples. And of those disciples, He chose out of them twelve and He named them Apostles. I want to just make this little distinction for the sake of our understanding that not everybody that's in the church is an apostle, but we can all be disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't think you really ought to be an apostle if you're not a disciple. You should be a disciple first before you have an office of ministry in the church. So he had this pool of disciples and from that pool he called this twelve to be his apostles. They're named in Luke chapter 6. And of these twelve men, only Judas defected, but all the rest of them were faithful unto death. Now, I want to talk about this whole idea of the making of a disciple. That Christians are born again, they're not born And disciples are not just born in a moment of time, they are made. And what I mean by that, I'm not decrying the new birth experience, I have it in my notes. But some people, I've heard them say, well, I'm not the religious kind. I'm just not spiritual by nature. Well, guess what? No one is by nature. I mean, we're all spiritual by nature. God breathed into us the breath of life. But we're sinners separated from God by our sins. And the difference in the most spiritual person in the body of Christ and the person who's hanging on by the skin of their teeth is not that they got a different brand of Holy Ghost or a better or worse dose of Holy Ghost. It's what they did with it. And I've quoted Sidney Poe many times. A student once told him at Bible college, I have the Holy Ghost. And Brother Poe said, but I'm concerned that the Holy Ghost doesn't have you. So it's what we do by engaging with this discipleship process that separates someone who just has an experience from the person who becomes a disciple. One time I witnessed to a young man, I think we were engaging in something very spiritual on a Sunday afternoon between church services. We were playing sandlot tackle football. And I invited him to church. He came to church. He received the Holy Ghost that night. We were walking out of church in the parking lot on the way to his and his friend's car. And his friend, who's speaking to this brand new person who just received the Holy Ghost, he said, does that mean you're going to quit cussing and smoking? And he went down a little bit of a list. And that young man said, no, no, no. For him, it was just an experience of a moment. And discipleship never followed. He chose to walk away after initially becoming saved by the power of God. Pretty amazing. Jesus 
was baptized. He was tempted. He began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. And then after he began to preach, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. This is our text. He saw these two brethren, Matthew 4, 18. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. And they were doing what they did most every day or night, depending on when they thought the fish were in an area where they could catch them. And they were working. They were casting a net into the sea. That's what fishermen do. They cast their net into the sea. Just like that's what you do every day when you go to work. You do what you were trained to do and chose to do. And they were just doing that. They were in the middle of their life. They were not at a special event. They were just in the normal routine of a regular week for fishermen. And Jesus said to them, verse 19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, straightway, left their nets and followed him. I'm fascinated by the men that Jesus called. And I have in my notes a parenthetical statement. Media can be my witness. That women are also disciples of Jesus Christ. It talks about these men who became apostles. But I just want to make sure you don't think I'm suggesting that you have to be a male to be a disciple of Jesus. Some of the greatest Christians I know are not males. So they're fishermen from the province of Galilee. Jesus calls them to leave all and follow him. These are like the ABCs. Many of you know this. But then... He goes on beyond that, and if you continue reading in Matthew 4, Jesus then calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they leave their father, their nets, their hired servants, and they also follow Jesus Christ. But think of where he found them. He found them in common life, in a blue-collar profession. They weren't at a rabbinical seminary. They were not in Jerusalem, the seat of Religious power, they were in Galilee, that province that would have been considered a backwater area. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was in the province of Galilee. But that's where Jesus chose Peter, Andrew, James, and John. John MacArthur wrote an amazing book called Twelve Ordinary Men. I may teach a lesson if I can get to it on Twelve Ordinary Men. Jesus proved... Then ordinary people like you and me, ordinary people like Peter, Andrew, James, and John could become disciples, could even become apostles. Their mark of distinction was that they were called by Jesus to follow a person and engage in a process that would change their life and would change the course of world history. Common, ordinary men. You may be thinking about the sermon of Peter in Acts chapter 4 after the lame man was healed and they were bold and they beheld the boldness of Peter and John and they said of them in Acts 4.13 that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now that doesn't mean that they were just dumb but it means that they, they didn't go to school with the feet of Gamaliel like Paul. They haven't been hanging around Jerusalem. Remember, Peter had an accent that they could tell that he was from Galilee. These were ordinary people like you and like me that Jesus called. 
And they said when they realized that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What changed them? I believe in what happens in an altar when a person repents, is baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, receives the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. I believe in the power of transformation and salvation. We call it regeneration, a changed nature. But I also believe in what Jesus created. He created, follow me. He created a process. And when they saw Peter and John, they thought, you know, the only explanation for their boldness, for their wisdom, is they've been hanging around Jesus. And there's something special about them. The reason I want you to see that Jesus calls ordinary people is to give you hope that you can really be a follower of Jesus Christ till the last step or last breath of your life. If you're already a disciple and you consider yourself a mature disciple, I may teach a lesson on the marks of maturity. I'm not sure how far we'll go in this ideas that I've kind of gathered and prayed over and thought. But it is a lifelong journey. It does not end when you go through welcome to the family. It doesn't end when you go through 201 or 301. It doesn't end when you become a voting member of Atlanta West. In fact, it probably ends when you think you've arrived. The most dangerous place you can be. A lifelong process. Matthew 4.19 Follow me. I just... I want to go through these three points of this phrase and don't get hope that we're through with that, but I may stop. We'll see. And he saith unto them, follow me. So the call to be a disciple is the call to follow Jesus. Now I want to make a distinction here, but carefully. I believe in the church. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in spiritual leadership. I believe in the Bible. It is God's inspired word. The very words are God-breathed. But we're not following a creed. We're not following a human being, Daryl John's the pastor, any other human leader. We are following Jesus Christ. And if you follow Him, there may be a time when that call to follow Him causes you to pay some deep prices but you're called to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus said when you follow Him, you'll obey His word. I wanted you to see this verse. John 8, 31. And said Jesus to those Jews which believe on Him, believed on Him, if you continue in My word, then are you My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word. Now there are a lot of people that park at Acts 2.38. They had a new birth, but they didn't have a new life. They know the same two or three verses, Jesus wept, maybe John 3.16, possibly misquote Acts 2.38, or maybe they can quote yards of Scripture. But wherever it is that you parked, that's the problem that you park there. And the prayers are 
repetitious, and I don't mean you pray for the same people that have needs, but the depth of prayer is the same. You park somewhere. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, that's a mark of a disciple. And when you know this truth, it is the truth that will make you free. We can follow other leaders like Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me or imitate me. Other translations besides the King James would say, as I imitate Christ. But ultimately we are following Jesus Christ and we only follow a leader as long as they follow Jesus Christ. If they tell you to drink the Kool-Aid, you say no. That's a cult. We don't drink the Kool-Aid. We follow Jesus and we continue in His Word. Some of you are too young to remember Jim Jones and the cult and the people who died because they drank the Kool-Aid. Not just Kool-Aid, you know. Poison and suicide. Terrible. Follow me. Now, I want to make two statements about following Jesus Christ and following generally. I've thought about this through the years and I had this statement and I, I, had, I have two statements. And I heard someone else say something like this. But if you tell me who you're following, I will tell you where you're going. So I want to say that again. If you tell me who you're following, I'll tell you where you're going. You say, well, I'm not really right behind the person, but a parade goes a long way. And if you're following the person leading the parade, you're going where they're going. So I want you to think about the person that you most admire, who has the most influential voice in your life. Who is that person? Whose voice do you listen to the most? And do you want to be like that person? I'm not even saying this is bad. This may be a good thing. But I want you to evaluate whose voice you listen to. I think one husband nudged his wife and said, me, right? But that's not exactly what I mean right now. Do you want to be like them? And do you want to go where they're headed in their life? Do you want to follow them? Because if you tell me who you're following, then I, I can tell you, not because I'm a prophet, but I can tell you where you're going. You will go where they go because you are following them. Do you want to go where they're headed in life and in eternity? And then, if you tell me who you're following, I will tell you what you are becoming. Because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you think about this, you know, I know in, in social media there are people who have a lot of followers. I have some family members who are big in social media, and one of them has over 800,000 followers on Instagram. 800,000 followers. Now, that's a lot of people following someone, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you're really following them. Some people follow a lot of people. But if you go through, just for an example, and some of you may not follow a lot of people or be friends with people on Facebook, and I'm not trying to preach against social media right now. I want you to think about, if you tell me who you're following, I'll tell you what you're becoming. Because if you look at, listen to, and follow, really follow, I don't mean just, you know, click follow, but if you really follow them, you're going to become like them. 
Because admiration is always shown by imitation. It just works that way. You're their disciple. You're going to become like the person you are following and you'll go where that person is going. When you follow Jesus, He just rubs off on you. Just like He did His disciples. He changed them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's just the nature of relationship. The people you follow influence your life in overt and subtle ways. Your values, your attitudes, your actions, and even your appearances are affected by the way you look and dress and all of that by the people that you follow. It's the nature of relationships. You know, some people tell me that I look a lot like my dad did at my age, which is not that bad for my age. And that I walk like my dad and gesture like my dad So I grew up with a really good dad and I don't mean to make you feel bad if you didn't or that my dad's better than your dad. But that was my role model for manhood. And it's just the way it works. It's neither good nor bad necessarily. It could be either or or some of both, right? But that was my dad. And so I'm a whole lot like my dad. When I was in Jackson, Mississippi, Brother Brandon, you know, I was around Brother Kraft a lot, 13 years. A young man moved there, and he said, you know what, when I first came here, I thought, you're just a little Brother Kraft trying to be like him. And I thought, well, thank you very much. That's a high compliment, you know. But I never got in front of a mirror and said, let me see, how does T.L. Kraft, how does Brother Kraft do this, or how does he do that? But if you respect someone and love them and follow them, and serve them, you're just naturally going to become a lot like them. We got a a big laugh in our family several years ago. You know, Joel, I know, has a lot of my appearance, right? But he had been gone to Bible college four years. He had been gone to Florida three years. So after eight years, he came back home. And he said, man, Dad, one day I was standing in church, and I raised my hands, and I looked over, and you were doing the same thing. I put my hands down, and I... I did something different and I glanced over and you were doing the same thing. I said, tough luck, buddy. You know, before you had a chance to think about it, you're just going to be like the people that you follow. For good or for bad or for a little bit of both. I just say, Lord, help him be more like his mother. If you tell me who you're following, I'll tell you where you're going. If you tell me who you're following, I'll tell you what you're becoming. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want to give a little bit of fine print here in a large print fashion just so you don't get any ideas that there's nothing to it. So I'm not going to take a lot of time and put these verses on the screen, but you can read them for yourself in Luke 14 when Jesus started talking about the cost of discipleship. He said, if any man come to me and hate not. I thought, you know, hate not, that's that King James archaic language. Let me see what it says in the New King James, hate not. New Living Translation, ESV. It all carries the same idea. Some people say it means love less. Maybe that's true. But really it means in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ and your commitment to Him that every other relationship would seem like the difference between love and hate. They're that so 
that far apart. Okay? And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty strong language. Jesus said that. I'm just reading it. He said, if you want to follow me, to be like me, you've got to make some decisions. He said, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You have to love me so much and be so committed to following me that you're willing to give up every other relationship in your life if that's what it takes to be my disciple. Now hopefully, you don't have to give up those relationships. But when you read the Bible, you read where the Apostle Paul and then the Apostle Peter talks about how the husband can be won by the behavior, the conversation of a wife. And says, stay with your unsaved husband as long as he's willing to live with you. You've become a believer. He's an unbeliever. But as long as he's willing to stay married to you, stay married to him because you never know if you can win him to the Lord. But, he says, if that unbeliever departs, if that husband doesn't come to God and he says, I don't want to live with a Christian woman, I'm out of here, then she is free to remarry only in the Lord. That's how strong the relationship with Jesus Christ is. That it may cost you houses, land, sisters, brother, father, mother, and your own life also. See, we, we view discipleship through an American viewpoint that we're the Lord and He's a choice in our life among many choices. But discipleship in the Bible is through the lens of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that He is worth the price to give up everything to follow Him. You remember Jesus said in this same passage, Luke 14, 28 through 33, count the cost. So not, you know, evidently Jesus knew these are very hard words. This is not an easy thing. So before you jump up and say, count me in, He said, first count the cost. Figure out if you're really willing to make the sacrifices to be my disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Sit down first, he said, and think it through. Don't just make an emotional decision. Make sure you're like a man building a tower that doesn't have enough money to finish it. Make sure you can follow through with what you say you're going to do when you follow Jesus Christ. It's like a king going to war who calculates whether or not he can win or not. And if he realizes he can, he waves the white flag. I'm summarizing what Jesus said about counting the cost. But then Jesus said, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Strong words. In Luke 18, just a few chapters later, Jesus was talking about riches and how it is so difficult for a rich person to be saved if they trust in their riches. And the apostle Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Pretty proud of it, wasn't he? And Jesus said, you know, it's not just the cost. There's a reward to this. That there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. You know, there's a really big cost, a high cost 
But there's a payoff that's greater than the cost. Now those disciples that Jesus called in the days of His flesh, they literally followed Him. They were close to Him on a daily basis. And I want to just drop this in here. It's really not part of my notes at this point. But really, we, it is virtually, it is almost impossible for Sunday school, for chips to disciple a child one day a week for an hour and a half. Brother Caleb preached about this Sunday. The parent, the parental influence is so much more powerful. You have so much more time with them. That's why this whole idea of discipleship that I'm embarking on tonight, getting just kind of into the, the shallows of this theme. I was a youth pastor, right? Six and a half years. And, and the kids I had the most trouble with, living for God, you could point, not always, but often back to what was going on at home. And when the home supported the church, I don't just mean publicly or they served in ministry, but when that home was discipling those children and young people, you can't wait till they're 18 to start. You can't say, I'll let them decide when they get old enough. You shape them right from the very beginning. That's what the Bible says. Train up a child. Not jerk them up, not just take them to Sunday school, but do what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8, whatever that whole passage tells us to do. Teach it, talk about it, right? Make it part of your culture because whatever you do and say over and over creates culture. Not just one time, but what you do over and over and over and over and over and over, it creates culture, good or bad. But they traveled with Jesus, ate with Jesus, ministered, had challenging conversation. Jesus revealed His disciples' fears, their lack of faith, their motives to see who could be the greatest with the exception of Judas though, as I said earlier, they all stayed the course. And amazingly, when you get to heaven, and I believe you're going to make it, I'm planning to make it. If we can read it there, and I think we will be able to, on the twelve foundations of the new Jerusalem will be the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Are you kidding me? That Simon Peter, a fisherman, he never even went to college. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go to UGST to graduate with the degree in divinity. His name? Yes, his name. How? He's been with Jesus. Now, please, I'm on the board of UGST, so I'm not telling you don't go to UGST. And I think we ought to do the best we can to grow as much as we possibly can and get a great education and then get over it, right? But get a great education. I'm not preaching against that. If you think I am, you haven't been around long or not trying to listen, right, to what I believe about that. But I'm just saying that these 12 ordinary men, Judas defected, Matthias replaced him. I believe that's what happened in Acts 1, right? Those guys' names are going to be there. You may not have voted for them to be on one of those foundations, but they will be there because they followed Jesus. They followed the person and they engaged in the process of becoming like Jesus Christ. 
Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you. Now I want you to think about this phrase just a moment. Verse 19 of Matthew 4. I will make you. Now I, I don't really believe that the phrase I will in Matthew 4.19 qualifies for an unconditional promise. I thought about this. I don't think I could go that far. But we, we spend a lot of time in church. I do. I'm raising my hand real high. Teaching people they need to pray more. We need to fast more. We need to do better. We need to love our neighbor. We, we need to do this and we need to do that. But I just want to tell you tonight that Jesus is also involved in this. I know you know that. But it's not all on you. Jesus said, you follow me. Hang in there. Just don't drop out. Don't quit. Don't give up when you fail. Fail forward if you fail, right? But if you will follow me, I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you something that you cannot be on your own. I will make you. And I'm pretty thankful right now that it wasn't because of something Jesus saw that I could do for him, but for what he could do for me, that he saved me, he called me, amen? I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. This discipleship thing is about the choices you make, the choice to be a disciple. But it is also about the spiritual transformation that Jesus Christ brings in our life. When we were saved, and I'm referring back to the new birth, and you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, John 3 speaks of the new birth. All of these passages are in my notes. I'm just skimming through them. And when you've been born again, you have a new life. You have an abundant life. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. Jesus said, I, I will make you. You follow me. Follow me. Get in this process and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now the Bible is pretty plain that the process of spiritual development is like a baby growing into an adult. First Peter is newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And the, the goal is what Paul said in Ephesians 4, that we would all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would grow up into Him in all things. If you will follow Him, He will make you like Him. He's going to rub off on you. You'll find yourself acting a lot like Him. Because you've engrafted His Word. you spent time with Him in prayer. And just like I followed my dad around as a little boy and started walking like Him and talking like Him and acting like Him and blinking my eyes when I'm thinking, right? I just, I just do that, not on purpose, but because of that association. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. But finally, He said, I will make you what? Matthew 4, 19. I will make you fishers of men. Andrew, Peter, James, John, fished for fish, right? They knew what that was like. And they were pretty good at it. It wasn't a hook and line operation. They had boats and nets and James and John. They had hired servants. It was, a, it was an enterprise. When they walked away, I feel like from what I've studied, and I've preached about this back in the day to young people, you know, they walked away from something, not nothing. 
They walked away from a career. They walked away from, from some money. I don't know. They weren't wealthy, but they walked away from boats. Not everybody had a boat. Not everybody had nets, multi-sites, you know, employees. They walked away from it all. Follow me and I'll make you something even better than that. Jesus had a purpose in mind that they would adopt his mission and they would preach his message to the world. His mission, as you know, from Luke 19.10, was to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul said it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Like lost sheep, like lost coins, like lost prodigal sons. Lost souls like Zacchaeus who climbed the tree to see Jesus. A tax collector who evidently was a little corrupt. Like a lost woman who had been divorced five times it appears and living in adultery. Like a lost demon possessed man sleeping in the tombs and trying to kill himself, cutting himself. Like a lost religious man like Nicodemus who first came to him by night. Like a lost paralytic man whose friends lowered him down into the room where Jesus was teaching. Social outcasts, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A church of disciples who are also disciple makers. If you want to know what a disciple is, a learner, student, someone who follows the person of Jesus Christ, someone who commits to the process of change for a lifetime, becoming more like Him. There's a lot in the epistles written back applying the teachings of Jesus, putting off the old, putting on the new, killing, right, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. There's so much written about that. So I want to ask you two questions in closing. I said in closing. I'm not, I never say that. See, I'm out of practice. I just wanted to give you hope. Are you following Jesus Christ as your chief role model? Is being like Him your aim in life? I wanted to sing to be like Jesus tonight, but Brother Brandon told me I couldn't sing and I wasn't allowed to right now till I get back to full strength. I'm making that up. But you can come give them more hope. <laughs> I love Brandon Cowden, and I'm so glad that he is now officially part of our staff, and Brother Caleb welcomed him after two weeks in a row of being rejected and forsaken by Brother Josh Herring. You know, I'm glad Brother Caleb finally got him on the team in the second service. <laughs> and we have a lot of fun working together around here. So are you following Jesus Christ as the chief role model in your life? And are you submitted to the process of discipleship that shapes you to be more like Jesus? When you do something or say something or think something that you know good and well is not like Jesus, you excuse yourself or do you ask the Lord to forgive you and do you say Lord help me be more like you